0: Well, hello there. We greet you in the name of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. What a blessed privilege it is for us to be able to come together and engage in a time of study and reflection. I am certainly delighted and elated for all of you all who are joining us online. And we thank God for each and every one of your presence uh, as far as our time together is concerned. As we prepare to uh, continue to stay the word of God. We thank God for uh, this wonderful opportunity and uh, let us go ahead and have a word of prayer. And while we're getting ready to pray, if you would turn to Galatians chapter 4. We want to start at verse 8. Try to work our way through verse 20. Uh, Galatians chapter 4, starting at verse 8. And we want to work our way through verse 20. At this time, let us bow our heads for a word of prayer. God, we come and we thank you for this wonderful opportunity to study your word, to learn more of you. We pray right now, God, that you, the master teacher, will come and teach us your precepts, let your word be a lamp unto our feet and a light unto our pathway. God, if you would, show yourself strong and mighty even in this moment, and we will bless your name for that. We don't take for granted, oh, God, this wonderful opportunity to study your word. So we need for you, the master teacher, the ultimate rabbi, to come and teach us your precepts. Let your word be a lamp unto our feet and a lighter to our pathway. It's in Jesus name we pray. Amen. As we prepare to uh, get ready to study, let me just mention uh, a couple of things uh, before we get started. And I mentioned this. As we wrap up, the next week we will not have Bible study. We will be in our March Gladness revival. And on next week, uh, uh, on Thursday, my good friend, Dr. F. Bruce Williams, will be preaching. He is a preaching phenom. You'll be blessed by him. But I want to encourage you, tell your family and your friends to check us out Monday night. I mean, not Monday night, Tuesday night, Wednesday night, Thursday night, 7 o'clock. Tuesday night, Wednesday night, Thursday night, 7 o'clock. Tuesday night, Dr. Cynthia Hale on Wednesday night, and Dr. Edwards Williams on Thursday night. We're going to have a wonderful time as far as the Lord is concerned, and uh, you're going to be blessed in in an immeasurable way. We want to encourage you that if you can to make your way to the house of the Lord, Uh, we would love to see you in person. But if you can't, we would love for you to join us online. Uh, And so uh, let your family and friends know church is open. Uh, all you got to do is register. Uh, We're also in the process of doing all that we can to make sure you're safe and secure. That being said, let's get ready to study uh, the Word of God. And let's look at Galatians chapter 4, starting at verse 8. And I'm going to ask that you would highlight some words, circle some phrases, underline some things um, as we get ready to work through. Uh, Our lesson for today. Starting at uh, Galatians. Four, eight. But then, indeed, when you did not know God, you served those which by nature are not God. I want you to, if you would, underline the phrase you did not know God. And I want you to circle the small G. Gods. Verse nine. But now after you you have known God, I want you to underline that phrase. You have known God or rather are known by God, if you would underline that phrase as well. How is it that you have turned again to the weak and beggarly elements, circle the word elements, to which you have to which you desire again to be in bondage? Verse 10. You observe days and months and seasons and years. If you would just, just put a check by that verse or an asterisk. I am afraid for you, least I have labored for you in vain. Brethren, I urge you to become like me, for I became like you. I have not, you have not injured me at all. If you would highlight the phrase, I urge you to become like me, for I became like you. I like that phrase. Verse 13. You know that because of physical infirmity, I preached the gospel to you at first. If you would underline the word physical infirmity. Verse 14. And my trial, which was in my flesh, did not despise, you did not despise or reject. But you receive me as an angel of God, even as Christ Jesus. If you would underline the phrase, you receive me as an angel of God. Verse 15 What then was the blessing you enjoyed? For I bear you witness that, if possible, you would have plucked out your own eye and given them to me. If you would. Uh, highlight that phrase Uh, if possible you would have plucked out your own eyes and given them to me. Verse 16 have I therefore become your enemy because I tell you the truth if you would underline verse 16 verse 17 they zealously court you but for no good. Circle the word zealously yes they want to exclude you that you may be zealous for them. Circle the word zealous. Verse 18. But it is good to be zealous. Circle the word zealous and a good thing always and not only when I am present with you. Verse 19. For my little children for whom I labor in birth again until Christ is formed in you. If you would highlight for whom I labor in birth again until Christ is formed in you. Then verse 20. Uh, I would like to be present with you now and to change my tone for I have doubts about you. All right. A lot of territory that we want to try to cover as far as this time that is ours. And I want to go back to verse eight and let's start unpacking verse eight for verse eight but then indeed when you did not know god you served those which by nature are not gods okay so this is what paul is dealing with and he has uh dealt with this before um when he deals with the Galatians talking about them serving idol gods. And basically Paul was saying that these idol gods basically enslaved you because of ignorance. So remember their idol gods were of the Greek nature, Zeus and Hermes and Aphrodite and uh, gods of that sort. Uh, These False gods really were demonic because they uh, attracted the Galatians with what is known as um, supernatural strength, but it was bent on destruction for those that were under their control. Now, I really want to drill down on this word no, because Paul is trying to get us to understand that just like we overuse the word love And not have it in its proper context. We can overuse the word no. And not have it in its proper context. So Paul wants us to understand. That in verse 8. But then indeed when you did not know God. This is knowing God on a personal intimate level. Having a relationship with God. You serve those which by nature are not God's these figments of their imagination were by nature. They were not God. Now, this is what I want to impress upon you because whether these beings were demonic powers or Greek or Roman idols or principles, the people ignorance of God made them slaves of something less than God. And so there's only ultimately one God Ultimately, there's only one God. And if you worship anything else, that means you engage in false worship. If you worship idols, you become a slave to idols and ultimately you become a slave to sin. So Paul is saying um, you serve those by which by nature, which are not gods. And whether you realize it or not, you're now becoming a slave to sin. In verse 9, he says, But now, after you have known God or rather known by God, how is it that you turn again to the weak and beggarly elements to which you desire again to be in bondage? So, Paul is lifting up two different aspects of knowing. First of all, the aspect of us knowing God on a personal, intimate level. The second one is the aspect of God knowing us. All right. So one is we know about God by virtue of the fact that the gospel has been shared. The understanding of who God is has been introduced to us in such a wonderful capacity until we come to the saving faith of who Jesus Christ is. But the other aspect is that God knows us. Interestingly, God knows us better than we know ourselves. Let me say it again. God knows us better than we know ourselves. Why is it that God knows us better than we know ourselves? Very simply, because God made us. God shaped us and formed us in God's image. God made us. Sin distorted the image of God in us, but God still made us and God loves us. And, and, and let me just let me just mention this um, as, as we continue to have this this teaching right now is that every person um, that has been made alive physically is made in the image and likeness of God. Okay, every person. That image, though, is distorted because of sin. Y'all with me? The image of God becomes distorted because of sin. And as we continue in sin the image of God becomes even more distorted. That even though the image becomes more distorted, God still is aware of who we are and know who we are, but we don't look anything like God intends for us to be predicated upon the choices that you and I make, okay? So here's what I'm trying to let you all know and inform you all is that Even though sin has distorted the image of God, you and I have choice in whether or not we want sin to continue that distortion. Okay, And since you and I have a choice on whether or not we want sin to continue that distortion, then you and I also have a choice to uh, the fact of whether or not we still want to be a slave to sin. And this is what Paul is talking about in verse nine. He's saying, listen, how is it that after you have heard about God, come to the same faith of Jesus Christ, realize that God knows you, that you want to go back to the very thing you've been freed from, that you want to go back to slavery in sin. And guess what? Whether we want to admit it or not, Um, those who have never believed in the true and living God are a slave to sin. Okay? Those who have never believed in the true and living God are a slave to sin. However, and interestingly, there are those of us who have been saved by the grace and mercy of God that sometimes we choose the things of this world that really makes us slaves. Okay, so here it is. You and I can be saved, sanctified, Holy Ghost, filled, fire baptized, and still be a slave to the things of this world. For example, accomplishments. You know, that's the lure of personal fulfillment. Trying to get the approval of others, measuring up to your peer expectations, autonomy, craving it to do it your way uh, or no way. uh, addictions, okay. Knowledge and technology, faith that leads lends divinity to human abilities. Uh, pleasure, uh, entertainment is your ultimate pursuit in life. Sex, um, success, trying to get to the top and be number one. Wealth, allowing money to be the dominant controlling factor in your life. Those things can become masters as far as your life is concerned. And so what Paul is trying to get them to understand is that you all have been free from the understanding of legalism and I would even there said labels and you want to go back to that? um. But we have to be honest because In today's culture, there are some things that will cause us to give up our freedom in Christ and go back to trying to engage in a relationship with God through work performance. The fear of being by ourselves, the fear of grace, the fear of being intimate with the spirit, the fear of losing the benefits of the old system. Because, see, even in slavery, you had some benefits as long as your master liked you, the fear of the unfamiliar. Um, not knowing what the world looks like now that you don't have those things that controlled you. These are some things that we all carry as far as fear, which is for many of us, sometimes a hard thing to let go. Then when Paul comes to verse 10, he says you observe days and months and seasons and years. Now, This can be a little confusing, but let me, if I could, unpack it for us, because I think I think that really what Paul is talking about is really the Jewish observance of the calendar. And the Galatians were familiar with uh, special days as far as the Jewish uh, calendar was concerned. So let's look at the concept of days. Days could be referred to the Jewish Sabbath. That for them. Sabbath started on Friday evening at six o'clock and went to Saturday evening at six o'clock. So you had the Jewish Sabbath. Um, then you had the observance of months. And that would be if you read in the Old Testament, these new moon celebrations of the Jews. OK, the seasons could refer to the different festivals that would last for some days like Pentecost and the Feast of Tabernacles and the Feast of Unleavened Bread. Um, And and then the years could refer to the year of Jubilee, which is uh, 50 years following seven sabbatical years. So in the Jewish custom, every seven years they had a sabbatical where they let the land rest and things of that sort. And then after seven sabbatical years, which was 49 years, the 50th year would be considered the year of Jubilee. And so in the year of Jubilee, all land was returned back to its original owner. Those people who were enslaved were set free and debts were canceled. So Paul said, you know, y'all are aware of all of that. You all are aware of all of that. And that's fine. And he didn't condemn them because he would keep um, uh, he kept the Sabbath and he would travel to Jerusalem for for certain things. And and let me say that even in today's culture. We do the same thing right now. We're in the season of Lent. Uh, That is, we're making our way to celebrate and commemorate and reflect upon the crucifixion and the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Uh, We also celebrate what is called Advent, which is that period before Christmas. And then, of course, you know, we celebrate Christmas and resurrection. Uh, So there are, for us, as far as the church calendar is concerned, certain days and certain months and seasons and years. Now, interestingly, in America, we have introduced some new days and months and seasons and years. For example, in the black church, we celebrate Mother's Day and we celebrate Father's Day. Now, they ain't nowhere in scripture. They ain't got nothing to do with the Bible but we celebrate those days. and We even celebrate Children's Day. It ain't got nothing to do with scripture, but that stuff is in the Bible. I mean, that has nothing to do with scripture, but that stuff we celebrate. And we celebrate pastor's anniversaries and church anniversary. And, and nowhere in scripture, but we, we celebrate those days. We celebrate homecoming. Again, nowhere in scripture, but we celebrate those days. So, so we interject, even in today's culture, Certain days that we celebrate, yeah, months. I mean, for example, in the Black Church, Black History Month. Okay, so so we do these things, and 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 the unfortunate reality is, we got to really ask, why do we do these things? Because if you keep traditions in ignorance, and you know nothing of the church yearly calendar, or you've been told that the church year is meaningless, um, then that's one thing. So there are three ways in which we celebrate the traditions of the church year. Ignorantly, automatically, or intentionally. Some of us, we do it ignorantly. We don't know anything about it. We just do it. There are those of us who keep up these traditions automatically, but we don't really give it the thought and the reflection um, that that it needs. But we think that we keep doing it over and over. It gains merit with with us, uh, for us with God. But then there are those of us who who keep these different traditions intentionally and we realize the reason behind the season. Um, We keep those seasons with some sense of reflection and study as we grow in our faith with who Jesus Christ is as our Lord and Savior. Okay? So, That's what we have to uh, work on and that's what we have to engage in as far as that's concerned. As we move forward um, with this particular study, Paul says in verse 11, I basically think that I've been wasting my time with you all. Um, I've been doing all this work. And I have nothing to show for. it." Because you all are going back to the very same thing that I taught you not to get caught up in. In other words, you all want to go back to the law. You're thinking about trying to go get circumcised when I'm trying to tell you that that stuff is not important. Now, here's what I want to impress upon you, because we do the same thing. Paul was not saying you're going to lose your salvation. But this is what Paul is saying. Paul is saying that you're turning away from the truth. That's not going to make you productive. And it's going to be like, I never taught you. It's going to be like, I never came by and dropped this knowledge on you so that you don't have to go get circumcised. So that you don't have to try to keep 613 uh, laws trying to gain favor with God so that you will understand that you are saved by your faith in Jesus Christ because of the grace of God. So that's why Paul is is really dropping this on them. And then as we go through verse 12, he says, brothers, and let me interject and be relatively inclusive sisters. I urge you to become like me for I became like you. You have not injured me at all. So here's what really Paul is saying. Paul is really calling them friends. And after he has given them a theological lesson, after he has kind of taken them to the woodshed and said, y'all need to start behaving better. He is now saying, I want you to put yourself in my place because I put myself in your place. Um, I want you to understand why I'm doing what I'm doing because when I came among you, I did not try to get you to think and behave like me. I met you where you were. I just, um this past week, I was in Mississippi doing a, a lecture for their state convention on adaptive evangelism. And the concept of adaptive evangelism is the idea that One size does not fit all, that you have to be willing to meet people where they are in order to get them to understand who Jesus Christ is. So Paul talked about how in First Corinthians uh, chapter nine, he talks about uh, to the Jew, I became a Jew to the Greek, I became Greek to the weak, I became weak. He met people where they were. So this is what Paul is trying to uh, help us understand. You got to meet people on their own ground and present them with the gospel. This phrase, you have done me no wrong, actually ties into the following verses where Paul reminisces how the Galatians received him on his first visit with them. Um, In other words, Paul was saying, you all are not a project for me. You're not pets to me. You are my brother's. And my sisters and just as you depend on me to share the gospel, I depend on you to help me get this gospel out. In other words, this is a two way street. All right. Now, let's look at verse 13. Because there's much speculation when it comes to verse 13, he says, you know, that because of physical infirmity, I preach the gospel to you at first. So I want to focus on this physical infirmity. Now, here, here is here is what I love about Paul. Uh, Paul just had a way of trying to meet people where they are, but he also brought his authenticity. Okay, he brought his authenticity. He brought all of him into sharing of the gospel. Okay. There's some speculation about what this infirmity is. And there's been many scholars who've contend that um, Paul may have had something wrong with his eye. Uh, There are others who said that he may have caught malaria when he was on one of his missionary journeys. Then there are those who thought he had epilepsy and every now and then he would have seizures. So um, uh, uh, another thinking is that he, he had gotten so beat up at Lystra that he still had wounds that were in the process of healing. Uh, and these believers helped to take care of him, right? Whether he was blind, whether he had malaria, whether he had epilepsy or whether he had wounds, he did not hide his scars. He did not hide his disability. He did not have his infirmity. In today's culture, one of the persons who really come to my mind as far as sharing the gospel of Jesus and still dealing with their physical infirmity is, well, now Bishop William Barber. Um, Anybody that knows Bishop William Barber, he is a drum major for justice. But he has some physical challenges. And he doesn't have his physical challenges. But also at the same time. He still gets that word out. He still does what he needs to do for the struggle for justice and equality for people throughout this country and even around the world. Um, but if you've ever seen or been in his presence, you realize that he has some significant physical challenges. But he doesn't let those challenges prevent him from sharing the gospel of Jesus Christ. It's it's interesting how when you are authentic, even in your weaknesses, God can take your weakness and flip it and use it as a strength so that ultimately people realize that it ain't you, but it's what the God in you that is bringing to pass and bringing to bear this wonderful opportunity as far as the sharing of the gospel of Jesus Christ. So it's, it's about authenticity. Uh, It's about authenticity and, and with authenticity, especially when you're dealing with physical infirmity, there's this level of humility that, that, that you have when you, when you're dealing with some challenges, there's a level of humility that, that you bring to the table as, as we, Continue to work through this passage. Um, Paul says, and my trial, which was in my flesh, you did not despise or reject, but you received me as an angel, even as Christ Jesus. So Paul's basically saying whatever I was dealing with. You did not hate me. You did not kick me to the curb. You received me as an angel of God, even as Christ. Now, when we look at this word as an angel of God, we're not talking about like an angelic being. Uh, With wings and all that stuff. He's not talking about that. Whatever he's talking about is as a messenger of God. As a messenger of Christ. That's what Paul is talking about. Paul is saying that despite my challenges, you receive me as a messenger of our God. And then this is where he really gives lift to the Philippi, to the Galatians, rather. Because basically, he says, what then was the blessing you enjoy? For I bear you witness that, if possible, you would have plucked out your own eyes and given them to me. The Galatians heard the gospel. Received the gospel and received Paul with open arms, took care of him, uh, had a good time with him uh, as he came and preached among them. And they considered themselves blessed by being in the presence of Paul. So Paul says, what happened to your joy? How, how How did you. Wind up in this pickle that you find yourself in. What what happened to your joy? Have you lost your joy? Here's what legalism can do. It can make you lose the joy of your salvation because it can make you feel guilty rather than love. And and legalism produces safe hatred rather than humility. And legalism stresses performance rather than relationship. And it points out how short we are, how we fall rather than how far we've come because of what Jesus Christ did for us. If I I hope somebody hears what I'm trying to say right now, that in your walk with God through Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, if you feel guilty or inadequate or your joy is gone, check your focus. Are you placing your confidence in Jesus Christ? Or are you placing your confidence in your flesh? Because here's what I want you to understand. That when you understand that your works do not save you. That, that church attendance does not save you. That giving money does not save you. It lifts that burden of performance. And then you come to the realization: I do this why? Because I am saved. I do those things because I have a relationship with Jesus Christ. Here is here here I, I, I want to talk about how Christian Christianity continues to be distorted. Um, and and I, I really want to unpack this because this is where a whole we all fall in one of these four categories judaized christianity legalized christianity lawless christianity or true christianity so so here is judaized christianity and this is what paul was dealing with with the judaizers the judaized christianity were the jewish christians who looked at jesus as the messiah and they said any gentile that wants to be a christian got to first become a jew so they had a high regard for the Bible and they looked at themselves as people of God. They did not want to see God's commandments overlooked or broken. So they wanted to try to keep all those 600 plus laws. But here's the danger of Judaized Christianity. We tend, they, they, that tends to add human traditions and standards to, uh, uh, to God's law. And it takes away from the scriptures That God is concerned about all nations, all people, all races, all cultures. Okay? So with this Judaized Christianity, you have to wrestle with this fact. Do you appreciate God's choice of a unique people through whom God offered forgiveness and eternal life to all people? Because guess what? Salvation came through a Jew, Jesus Christ. So we have to wrestle with that. Then there's this legalized Christianity. Legalized Christianity are those who live by a long list of don'ts. That God's favor is earned by good behavior. So don't do this. Don't do that. Don't go here. Don't go there. All right. Um, Legalized Christianity. These people recognize that real change uh, bought about by God should lead to changes in behavior. In other words, if the Lord has changed you, saved you, it all change your behavior. But the danger of that is it tends to make God's love something earned rather than something to accept freely. Okay? You and I can't earn God's love. We just have to accept what God has given us. Um, Their concern is it will reduce Christianity to a set of impossible rules and transform the good news of the gospel into bad news. All right, So that's the danger of, of legalized Christianity. It, 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 it reduces Christianity to a whole bunch of rules and it transforms the good news into bad news. So the question you have to wrestle with as far as Legalized Christianity is as important as change in action is, can you see that God may be desiring different changes in you than in others? In other words, the changes that God wants to make in me may not be the same changes God wants to make in you and vice versa. For some God's got to change their tongue. For others, God's got to change their actions. For others, God's got to change their addictions. For others, God's got to change their mentality. All right, so the change that God does is not the same in all of us. So that's legalized Christianity. Then there's just lawless Christianity. This is where Christians live above the law. In other words, they feel like they don't need any guidelines. That God's word is not as important as their personal sense of God's guidance. In other words, I talk to the Lord, the Lord tells me what to do. Okay. Now, here's the issue with that. The issue, as far as that's concerned, uh, or their general concern, is that they recognize that forgiveness from God cannot be based on our ability to live up to perfect standards. That we must receive grace by faith and understand that our salvation is a gift. Made possible by the death of Jesus Christ on a hill called Calvary. But the problem with that is lawless Christianity forgets that Christians are still human. And fail consistently when trying to live only by what they feel God wants. And sometimes you, a lot of times you can't live by your feelings because your feelings are finicky. And suspect. And still tainted by sin. So here, here's what you have to wrestle with when it comes to lawless Christianity. Do you recognize the ongoing need for God's express commands as you live out your gratitude for his salvation? OK, I'm again, getting back to the word of God. The final one is true Christianity. True Christianity. Christianity. And this is where we all should be striving. True Christianity are those Christians who believe inwardly and outwardly that Jesus's death made possible God's offer of forgiveness and eternal life as a gift. And that you accept that gift through faith. And you're seeking to live a life of obedient gratitude. That that word, obedient gratitude, obedient thankfulness for what God has already done for you. Let me drive this home because this is what we should be striving for when it comes to true Christianity. That our walk with God, true Christianity, our walk with God through our faith in Jesus Christ is both private and public. You can't be a hidden disciple or a hidden Christian. It is private and public with a heart belief and mouth confession. Our relationship with God and the power that God provides us result in obedience. And when you receive the gift of obedience, I mean, receive the gift of forgiveness and eternal life, you're now challenged to live That life of obedience by the power and presence of the Holy Spirit. Am I making any sense? All right. So what's the danger? This avoids the danger of the other types of Christianity that we try to have. And so what's the question we would have to wrestle with? How How would those closest to you describe your Christianity? Do they think you live so that God will accept you? Or do they know you live because God has accepted you in Christ? How do the folks that are closest to you view your walk with God? That's what true Christianity is all about. Let me go ahead and wrap up verse 16 through 20. And I'll I'll, I'll pull it all together like this. Paul says, have I become your enemy because I tell you the truth? You know, we're so easily offended in this day day culture. Um, We like our ears to be tickled, but we don't want to hear the truth. And Paul basically reminds us. If I don't tell you the truth, God's going to hold me accountable. That's why I preach the way I preach and teach the way I teach. Because ultimately God holds me accountable if I don't tell you the truth. Which is why I don't don't do what the culture says that should be done when it comes to a lot of things, because what the culture says ain't necessarily true. Um... uh, the Galatians were all of a sudden rejecting Paul and considering him to be persona non gratis. Verse 17, when he says, they zealously court you, but not for good, that they they in the text would be the Judaizers. He says they zealously court you or enthusiastically court you, but not for good. In other words, these Judaizers have less than honorable motives. And how many of y'all think when you look at false teachers, they can be very zealous, very enthusiastic. Um, we see that with the Hebrew Israelites. They're on our street corners, very loud, very zealous, but teaching bad doctrine. Paul says you can have a zeal, but not, but not according to knowledge. It's good to be zealous or enthusiastic in good things, but don't be enthusiastic with bad teaching and bad doctrine and selfish motives. But unfortunately, those tend to be the most zealous folks, the folks that's going the wrong way. Then Paul says in verse 19. My little children for whom I labor in birth again until Christ is formed to you. Now, it's interesting that this is an interesting metaphor that Paul uses because Paul is a man. So how are you going to have labor in birth? You don't know anything about labor in birth until Christ is formed in you. Uh, he doesn't know anything about giving birth. But Paul uses this metaphor and, and it's a metaphor. I want you to hear me well. Paul ain't saying I'm a woman that is going through birth pains. He, he, he's not not saying that. Um, and somebody will take that. And twist it to fit some of the stuff in the culture today. OK, Paul ain't saying that. Paul uses this as a metaphor. Um Because Paul wants us to understand that the work that God is doing in us is supernatural. And that when he labors in birth again, it is because he is, watch this, trying to help them to develop spiritually. And the being formed in you is like a mother carrying an embryo until it's fully developed. He is saying, I got to carry you until you become who God in Christ wants you to be. Okay? Then in verse 20, he says, I'd like to be present with you now and to change my tone for I have doubts about you. (laughs) I close on this because here is why person to person, face to face is so important. Paul is sending them this long letter. So stuff can get lost in translation. It's like sending text messages in today's culture or emails. Some stuff can get lost in translation, like tone and tune of voice. And, and Paul is saying, I, I want I want to come and talk to you all so you can hear my heart and really understand what I'm trying to drop on you and the tone. Because right now, I really don't think y'all get it. Like when you send somebody a text message. Sometimes what you mean Does not come across well in the text message. And you have folks going off on all kinds of tangents because of they did not get the full message. I I had an incident that happened a few days ago with somebody uh, in our church put on Facebook some erroneous stuff about our church. And it caused folks to get all mad and hot and upset and frustrated. And it wasn't wasn't even true. And it's amazing how a lie or a rumor can go around the world 15 times before truth ever get up out of bed and hit the floor. Um, um, And so, you know, you got to be careful about the tone and tune of what somebody is, because Paul is saying, um, what I want to share with you, uh, I want you to really understand my heart. Because remember back then, they didn't have telephones. They didn't have FaceTime. Um, I don't even know if telephone would have been good enough back then. So here, 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 here is what I want to drive home and I want to call it today, a day. Because Paul was so upset with the Galatians because he said, after all I've taught you all, and after you have been freed by the grace of God because of your faith in Jesus Christ, y'all want to go back to being Slaves to the law and to idols? Mamma mia, good Lord. Help us. That's why Paul grieved over their condition. But Paul understood their condition because Paul was like them. He had to be adopted into the family of God. Paul had to accept Jesus Christ as his Lord and Savior too. Basically, Paul had to really grow in the grace and knowledge of God just like these Galatians. So Paul understood what they were going through. So we're going to stop right there. We're going to stop right there. The next time we pick up in our study, it will be, um, we'll be dealing with um, Galatians four twenty one. Uh So that'll be the next time that we will have our study, Galatians uh, 4.21. As I close, remember next week we will not have TNT because we will be in our March Gladness Revival Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday. Again, we invite you all to come and join us in person if you're able. If not, check us out online. Send links to your family and friends. Uh, To join us online, they're going to be blessed. Bishop Rudolph McKissick, Jr., Dr. Cynthia Hale, Dr. F. Bruce Williams. They are some preachers extraordinaire. And they're going to bless you with a powerful word. So I would love to see you in the house. But if you don't come to church, we'd love to have you join us online. Uh, Also, at this time, you have the wonderful ability to give if you so desire. And there are three ways you can get. Well, there are several ways you can give. Here at St. Paul. First one is by dropping off your cash or check or money order at the church at 1401 Allen Street, Charlotte, North Carolina, 28205. Or you can mail your check, cash or money order, uh, mail your check or money order rather to the church uh, at that same address. If you want to drop it off, call the church office to make sure someone is there to receive it. Second way you can give is through our website, ACS or church life and then the final way you can give is through the app called givelify and if you don't have that app on your smart device download that app connect to your favorite credit card and in three clicks you can give as far as that is concerned so if you feel led to give we want to encourage you to do that because one thing i've discovered you can't be god giving no matter how hard you try listen Thank you so much for joining us in this time of study. It is my hope and prayer that the rest of this week will be absolutely incredible and that the Lord will continue to bless you and keep you in God's omnipotent and sovereign care. God bless. It's that time for March Gladness 2022, a three-night revival March the 22nd, 23rd, and 24th at 7 p.m. each night this year we welcome from Jacksonville Florida Bishop Rudolph McKissick Jr. My name call. I don't need a shout out I don't need a post on Facebook I don't need them to tell nobody my name my joy will be knowing that the Lord used me to help them start their business to help them get their marriage together to help their child get back on the right track to help joy back up. God just any way you want to use me. Any way you want to use me. God use me. And then we welcome from Decatur, Georgia, the Reverend Dr. Cynthia Hale. We still need to let this light shine so that others will see our good works and glorify our Father who is in heaven. You see, people recognize who God is by looking at us, just like Jesus walked the earth and gave evidence of a good God, a God who cared about people, a compassionate God, a loving and kind God. That's the kind of God they ought to see in us when they see us coming. They may not want to deal with us, but they will be attracted to the goodness of God that is in us and shows through us and draws them to people who have not wanted to be And finally, friend. we welcome from Louisville, Kentucky, Reverend Dr. F. Bruce Williams. One another the truth about your life because if you don't know, there might be somebody waiting to hear their story come out of your mouth. And if he did it for you, If he raised you, if he saved you, if he healed you, if he anointed you, if he picked you up, if he turned you around, if he placed your feet on solid ground, if he forgave you, and he's feeling you, and he's using you, then somebody... Marked Gladness is a revival that you do not want to miss. You can register now on Eventbrite to attend in person or make plans to join us virtually on all of our streaming platforms. We look forward to worshiping with you March the 22nd, 23rd, and 24th at 7 o'clock p.m.